Hi, I'm Helen and this is Why Mums Don't Jump, busting taboos about leaks and lumps after childbirth. All the stuff that happens to your pelvic floor that no one ever talks about. Incontinence, prolapse, pelvic pain, problems that affect millions of women. One in three. I'm one of them. I have a prolapse. My pelvic organs fell out of place after the birth of my second child. And if you had told me back then that I would be speaking about this stuff out loud, I would have told you to give your head a wobble. Hi, everybody. Hope all is well. If this sounds a bit weird, it's because it's the Easter holidays and we're on the road. And so, of course, that means that the seven-year-old has chicken pox. Poor lad. Um, so he's suffering. But aside from that, all is well. Thanks, as ever, to everyone who's been sharing the podcast, shouting about the podcast. It honestly makes such a difference when you recommend it to friends or when you just drop a little note on a WhatsApp group. Um, I notice it. It makes a big difference. I'm so grateful. Uh, and I also loved this week hearing from a woman who said that the podcast had given her the knowledge and confidence to push for a pessary appointment. This made me very happy. Good luck with that. I have mine this week too, finally. I'll tell you all about it in the next episode. Um, (laughs) Things you never thought you'd say on a podcast. Um, So this week's guest is an absolute legend in the world of pelvic floors. She's one of the first people I called when I decided to start this. So it's ridiculous, actually, that it's taken me this long to get her on. It is, of course, Elaine Miller a.k.a. Gusset Grippers, the fabulous comedian and fellow, no less, of the Chartered Society of Physio. So I wanted to start, but we'll get through a few different bits, but I wanted to start by talking about your television appearances recently. So mm. you, you were on the telly, you were all over the telly a few weeks ago, and the newspapers were saying that you put the entire nation off their Cocoa Pops uh, <laughs> by talking about pelvic floors with Lorraine Kelly. So what, like, what was going on there? What, how did that come about? I was doing a thing on social media, um, dry by Christmas. So the evidence is that if women with stress incontinence do pelvic floor exercises three times a day for three months, about three quarters of them will get completely dry on their own. So I've done it for a few years, but I'm not very good with social media. So it's always been a bit piecemeal. And I thought this year I'll put proper effort into it and see if I can get some data to show that this worked, that using social media to remind women got engagement Um, because if I can demonstrate that then I can hopefully get some funding to actually do it properly Mm -hmm. um, next year so I had sent a press release out and I don't really know how but somehow I got a a phone call from Women's Hour and then Steph's packed lunch and then um, the producer from Lorraine got in touch because she'd heard me in Women's Hour Um, so yes I'm practically a national treasure (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, I bet you had a good laugh, did you? What was it like being being in the studio, doing all the bits? Yeah, it's really interesting because I'm quite nosy and I, I quite <laughs> like seeing how things go on like behind the scenes. And I do enjoy being in a green room because you never know who else is going to turn up. Did That's you meet my where, where, where? Um, I but it wasn't a Marty Pello, it was the, the, <laughs> the new guy. And oh. um, what's his name? Graham, the guitarist. Oh, I don't who know. Poor old played, Graham. Um, 
<laughs> but there's politicians and things. Baroness Varsi was in that green room as well, and you know comedians, and that's interesting because then you've got them. Yeah, you can talk at them Lobby. and saying this is what I think. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting just that idea that um, people were on social media saying that you'd put them off the cocoa pops, and that's obviously what the newspapers picked up on. And I was just like, why? Why are we so horrified about the idea of Lorraine Kelly doing a pelvic floor exercise? Yeah, it's interesting that the way... I quite liked it. So if you're going to do comedy, it's the the sort of ideal is you have quotes on your poster that say, you know, hilarious, really funny, brilliant person, and then somebody calling you something really negative because it's funny. Puts so the having off the Cocoa Pops. Yeah, off-putting, the Daily Mirror. That's, that's a great line to have in your promotion if you're going to do a comedy tour. But... The physio network was really supportive. They were outraged and saying this is terrible because we must be able to talk about these things. I'm like, this is gold because it's such an outrageous headline. Everybody that sees that is going to click on it to find out what this awful woman has said at porridge time. And then they get the information. So I think it was done deliberately. I think it's a journalist. That's their job, isn't it? To get click yeah. through. So yeah. I, I think that she knew what she was doing. And um, and I'm going to get a tour t-shirt printed up with off-putting because it just thrills me you should totally <laughs> utilize it but I think oh, yeah. that I mean that was taken from a social media post that someone put out there like yeah and, and yeah. I know from when I used to work in radio that if you did start to talk about this sort of stuff you would get those messages it really it's yeah. really horrible to people and and you know as someone who has pelvic floor problems uh, and hasn't been able to really talk about it in the past I'm annoyed now that I have been horrified by myself. Like, yeah. why are we so embarrassed about well, it? Well, I think at the root of it, there's just the very uncomfortable reality that the most derided person in society in the West is the smelly old woman. Mm. We're all frightened of her, and women are frightened of her in case we become her. And that's why I think there's a lot of the fear and shame and stigma that surround these problems that women don't want to acknowledge that they've got a problem because they think they're going to turn out like their granny, their great granny. And um, as far as the media goes, well, women are only really of value if they're, you know, young and hot. So old lady problems just are, you know, a problem for the patriarchy. And um, I could go on about that. <laughs> Please do. I mean, this is, well, this is, I hear so often, oh, if this happened to men, it would have been sorted by now. Do we, aye. like, I kind of believe that, but I also feel like it's easy to say. It is easy to say, but I think that there is a, a root of truth in it. So this year's Fringe show that I did was looking in part at medical misogyny and about why mm -hmm. these problems exist. Because the, the uncomfortable truth is that we've known the solutions for stress incontinence, certainly, for 40 years. And I get really angry, incandescent with anger, that if we had spoken to those women who were in their middle age in the 80s when we found this amazing evidence we'd always known it but here's the actual de definitive evidence that if we teach women pelvic floor exercises we'll be able to prevent problems in a percentage of them a big percentage and we didn't because well it's just a bit of pish isn't it it's not that big a deal it's just a woman it doesn't matter so those women are now in their 80s and some of them will be having to move into residential care because of their incontinence that may have been treatable 
over the course of 40 years. Maybe they had a birth injury and they were left with a prolapse that could have been managed over 40 years. Or maybe she has been left with, you know, a need to get to the toilet quickly and she's been rushing to go to the toilet and has fallen and broken her hip and now she can't go back home. And I have I have a real problem with that. It makes me so cross because it's a feminist issue. It it just is saying that we do not care about women enough to give them basic information about their bodies. And I guess that like you are can I say like you're kind of simplifying this for a lot of people you are taking it back to pelvic floor exercises right kegels kegels I'm never quite sure what what we call them um I wondered if we maybe could actually go back to basics on that and get a bit of sort of factual information across yeah I quite like the the basics I quite I do quite like the simple end of things um it is complicated but the the challenge is simple the challenge is that women don't know what they don't know the words to name their own bits and they don't know what they can reasonably expect from their bits. So a pelvic floor's job, so the muscles, it's a really, it is complex anatomy. There's 23 muscles and they're in three layers. So when you start looking at it, it's a bit overwhelming because, well, you know, it's just a, it's just like a giant stew of, of gristle and stuff. Um, but from a user's point of view, it doesn't really matter because all the muscles do the same thing. They all squeeze your holes shut and they stop your guts from falling out. That's their mm-hmm. job. So they squeeze, their action is to squeeze and lift. Um, so when you're doing pelvic floor exercises, that's the aim. That's what you're trying to get the muscle to do. Just like if you were trying to fix your bingo wings, then you would be wanting to take your arm through the whole range of movement. You wouldn't just wiggle your arm around in the middle bit. You need to bend your elbow and then straighten your elbow because that makes sense. So it's the same with your underneath. You just have to take it through the whole range. Um, but most women don't know that these muscles what they actually do so if you are bursting for a toilet and there isn't one that feeling of squeezing to stop any pee from coming out that's your pelvic floor working if you're trying to stop a fart from escaping and you're squeezing really tight because you know you're sitting next to somebody that you don't want them to know the disgusting thing you ate for your dinner last (laughs) night then (laughs) that's it that's what you're the aim is Mm -hmm. but if you think if you really pay attention to what your bum hole does when you're trying to hold in a fart it lifts up slightly Mm -hmm. so it's not just holding it shut if you really pay attention you've got a good pelvic floor contraction the whole thing lifts and that bit's important we want people to be able to see that they can squeeze and lift and if they can't feel both then they probably have some weakness or something in the way that's stopping that action so we want them to come to clinic If you can feel it, then um, to do the exercise, you want to squeeze and lift on an exhale because the pelvic floor moves up and down as you breathe. And if you hold your breath and then try and contract your pelvic floor muscles, you're, you're having to work against the force of your diaphragm coming down and it can make it a lot more difficult. So the easiest way to do it is to sigh out squeeze and lift your bum hole as if you're holding in a fart and then the tricky bit is holding it for a count of 10 seconds Mm -hmm. but breathe at the same time so lots and lots of women find that they can only do it for you know two seconds or less and the 10 seconds is an aim because if you can hold if you've got a good contraction for a good solid 10 seconds it reduces the urge to pee and that's useful socially mm-hmm. when there's a big queue for the toilet or you're stuck in traffic. Being able to reduce the urge is is a useful skill to have. 
And like, as you say, there is literally the evidence is there and it's been there for years that this can really help. Yeah, there's gold standards. There's multiple Cochrane reviews showing that this stuff works. Loads of them. Like, we're hanging in them. We don't really need much more evidence about pelvic floor exercises. We've got it. We just need to roll out what we already know. And the challenge with that is there's no money in it. So Mm -hmm. I've tried with politicians to get somebody to be the face of the smelly old woman and be her champion and say we want to make sure that women don't land up being, you know, derided socially because they can't manage their personal hygiene because they've Mm. got a problem that's entirely preventable it's just that we haven't bothered to tell them and it's quite difficult to get a politician to take that on it's not glamorous is it from a press point of view when I first started wanging on about this I had a I wrote an article for a red top newspaper that was going to the journalist you know it's a useful technique here. Do you want do you want a free column? I'll give you this. Mm-hmm. And they were going to publish it until the editor said, no, no, we don't want smelly old women in my newspaper. We're not doing that. And they pulled it. <sighs> so trying to... And the shame and stigma is real. Well, of mm. course, you're going to be embarrassed. It is embarrassing. These things are shameful. I can't find a society where it's okay to be incontinent unless you're a baby. It's not mm. okay. So... These are barriers to engagement, all of them, unless you've got a role model or a champion or, you know, a hero in the narrative. It's really difficult to get above all the other stories that are going on Mm -hmm. in society, especially now with social media. Although that can also be a a strength because things like podcasts, like you're talking about issues that are stigmatised in your podcast and people can listen to them privately. So people are getting information without having to sit with a book on the tube saying, my fanny fell out. They they can get information (laughs) in a really... Which I think is a great title. I would read that book, but I do see that some people might not want to... (laughs) to explain (laughs) why they're interested in such a topic. (laughs) Um, I'm going to ask you in a minute about how you are using humour, obviously, to try to reach the women who aren't being reached for all these other reasons. Uh, But just a really quick last one on the pelvic floor stuff. Actually, two really quick last ones for information, right? Uh, I have a prolapse. Uh, A pelvic floor exercises are not going to cure me, so why should I bother? Because it'll stop it from getting worse. So you're right, it's not going to cure it, but it can maintain it. And what we know is that if women do their pelvic floor exercises and they watch um, their weight, they avoid doing impact exercise that's causing them a problem or they adapt their impact exercise so that they've got pestries or whatever to support the prolapse so they can still exercise. Um, and they, if they've got a cough, they get that under control and they manage their bowels so that they're not constipated. If they do all of those things, then they will be able to keep the prolapse at the same as it is just now for probably around 15 years. Would It will probably be longer than that, but that's what the, the science has shown at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's common for women to have prolapse. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not It's not a great thing, but it's not necessarily doom and gloom because about 50% of women over the age of 50 have got one. So if you look after it, I mean, stats like that, you could almost say it's so common it's normal. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not a normal thing, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to land up having terrible mm-hmm. problems if you look after it. You brush okay. your teeth every day. You know, it's just, you've got to look after your prolapse just like you mm-hmm. look after your teeth. 
There's an advertising slogan right there. Um, my other question was about people who have a tight pelvic floor. Should they be doing pelvic floor exercises? Because surely that's just going to make it more tight. Yes. So the basic exercise of squeeze and lift is your starting entry level Kegel. Um, if you once you've got the basic thing sorted, then you should be able to do the, the long hold count for ten. You also need to do quick flicks to help with stress incontinence where you wet yourself if you laugh or cough or sneeze. So it would be like a really hard and fast contraction for about a second or so and then completely relax. And you squeeze and lift and relax, squeeze and lift and relax 10 in a row. Um, If you've got an overactive pelvic floor, it can be really difficult to know that unless you've got an assessment because people, their pelvic floors just aren't letting go. They can also wet themselves because the muscles working really hard all Mm -hmm. the time. So a lot of the time women misinterpret this, obviously, because all they know is that they're wetting themselves when they laugh and they start doing more exercises to Mm -hmm. fix that because they hear stuff like I'm saying and it just doesn't make any difference at all. So that's, I think that that's okay because if it doesn't work, we get them into clinic. I think it it's not ideal to let people trial something and then find no, it's failed. You're not gonna make, you're not gonna do harm. The the okay. worst thing that's gonna happen is you prolong their condition for a period of months. They might get pain. They might get mm. pelvic, a lot of the time people with overactive pelvic floors have got like an aching in their pelvis a lot of the time or they mm-hmm. get pain and penetration if they're sexually active or they're going for a smear test or they don't use mm-hmm. tampons because it hurts. So that's a key bit of information that if women knew if you have those symptoms, it might be that your pelvic floor is overactive, then they need to come into clinic. But for the women that don't know that, if the message is, if this doesn't work, come to clinic, I think that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so the funny stuff, <laughs> how, how did that all start for you? Like what, so you're, you're a physio merrily going around fixing people's bits and bobs and then you're loving, you're loving comedy on the side and then you have a, you have a light bulb moment. What's, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I took up comedy, um, <laughs> as a bucket list thing so there was a bunch of us at the school gate we're about to turn 40 and we thought we would give ourselves a name and um, I couldn't really come up with anything um, like one of them was going to run a marathon and one of them was going to finish her degree and um, that she'd left because she got pregnant so she was going to go back and finish it one of them got divorced which I think is very funny <laughs> also <laughs> Like a, as a bucket list thing, I'm getting rid. She 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 did it. She's very happy now. Um, and I I didn't really have any of those three options to choose from. So I th- said that I would do a stand up gig because years and years earlier I'd been at some party telling a joke, uh, not a joke, a story about a date that had been on the night before that had been you know it was funny, it was awful. Um, it wasn't criminal, but that's about all that you could say about it. It was just an excruciating story. And um, there was a guy there at the party that was something to do with the comedy club. And he said, would I like five minutes on stage? I'm like, absolutely not. Why would I do that? That would be embarrassing. And he, he spent ages trying to persuade me, but I was unmovable because that would that was bonkers. So all it did was plant in my head that I could do stand-up if I wanted to. So 20-odd years later, 
then that was all I could come up with with a bucket list. And I loved it. I did this, it was just like five minutes set and I didn't know oh, that... terrifying. Oh, it's only talking. Like it was a carry on with all the women <laughs> at the school gate. Like that's a bonkers yeah. thing to do. Why would you do that? And of course they all came. So I had a really, really good yeah, time. Yeah, right. But I didn't realise that it was a newcomers competition that I entered because I thought that that would be, you know, for newcomers. And um, I was completely ignorant about how comedy works so being a newcomer means that you're looking for an agent <laughs> so oh. I'm like oh lined up with these people that know what they're doing and me going no this is my first time and they yeah so I got through the competition I got through to the like the kind of semi-final bit um and thoroughly enjoyed myself. It was a hoot. Loved it. Because at the time, my kids were little and one of them wasn't particularly well. So there was quite a lot of stress. And being mm. able to go out at night with a bit of lipstick on and have a laugh, I just loved it. So I kept going with it. And a patient in clinic was telling me a story about her wetting herself on the doorstep, which is a horrible thing to happen to anybody. And it wasn't just a wee bit like, it, you know, she lost all control of her bladder and her very snooty next door neighbour was standing next to her and saw this happen. Oh, no. So it is awful. And you wouldn't hear that and have anything other than sympathy for the person. But this... This patient was from Glasgow, so she was just naturally hilarious because they just are. Glaswegians are just funny. <laughs> and, and a lot of people, particularly in Scotland, I think part of the sort of culture is using humour to manage difficult social situations. It's We're quite self-deprecating and Glasgow's mm-hmm. really good at that. They just are funny people. So I was in stitches listening to her tell this awful tale of woe and said to her, can I use that for... She knew I did stand-up because um, I need to come up with the new five minutes. And I did it at the comedy club, but it was only five minutes. So nobody uh-huh. knew this was my job. And afterwards, four women said to me in the pub, you know, oh, me too, it's awful, isn't it? And I thought, well, that's interesting because only mm-hmm. about a quarter of the women will ever speak to their GP about their incontinence. So if these four women who don't know each other and don't know me are prepared to speak to a stranger in a pub about pushing themselves but not their GP, what would happen if I did it on the stage? So I wrote a comedy show about pelvic floors and the comedians were interesting because I was still new by that point and they said you need to be going for 10 years before you would do a solo show like this is this is crazy but it was my job and when you're seeing people with the same sort of problems any job if you're dealing with the same sort of problem you have the same sort of language you use it's almost a script that you're using so I just used patient stories and the scripts that I said and made it what I thought was funny and it turned out it genuinely was funny because it won a comedy award so go me well there you go (laughs) smashing it on all fronts I mean that's the thing isn't it like it there is a danger I suppose that you minimize it and we know how how badly it affects people's lives and stuff but that but your evidence is there isn't it the women that come up to you afterwards and go well thank you for talking about that because I haven't been able to talk about that and and I do need help and maybe that's the trigger Yeah, I didn't realise it at the time, but a few things happened. There was a man, a male journalist came to review the show like a critic and he said in his review that it was strange for him being in a room where there was a comment made about incontinence pads and he didn't see that it was a joke, but it definitely was a joke because all the women laughed. And I thought that's really helpful because the woman who is struggling and ashamed gets the joke, but she only gets the joke because she understands 
what it's like to wander around with an incontinence pad and all these other women are laughing because they also understand so you're not on your own yeah. um, so uh, the the show did well at the Fringe here in Edinburgh so I was invited out to Australia which is quite flattering and I got linked up with a university there whose project was looking at obesity and pregnancy which is also a a condition that's surrounded with shame and stigma and the professor was interested in using humour to address that so we did a a literature review together which was published in August about Mm -hmm. using humour as a health promotion tool which is invaluable because thanks to Professor Scuteris and her team at Monash I now have evidence that this works. I have evidence that it is possible to influence behaviour through using humour. So the next thing I need to do is show whether or not the show encourages help seeking. And if the data shows that about 25% of women will go and speak to their GP, if more than 25% of my audience go and speak to their GP afterwards, I get to call it an intervention, which is hilarious. Um, Because the challenge is once we get women into clinic, they don't have a problem. I don't worry about those women because even if they're not going to be, you know, helped with conservative treatment, we know where to send them so that they can see medics and if surgery is the answer then that's great they'll be able to get surgery the women who don't come they're the ones that that interest me and there's there's good evidence that if somebody says a message out that's funny you're more likely to remember it and and pay attention to it if you make people laugh about something Mm -hmm. then they'll talk about it and once you get women talking about this stuff you can't shut them up this is it. This is exactly it. You are you're on a you're a woman on a mission to change the world, aren't you? Yep. Get all those fannies <laughs> fixed. That would make me very happy. <laughs> Love it. And the other thing Elaine did was to record a 60-second squeeze-along guide to pelvic floor exercises. So if you're like me and you do mean to do them but you struggle to get it done then you can find that as a bonus episode and you can listen as many times as you like so maybe like load it into your podcast stack ready for listening or bookmark it on the desktop and then every now and then it'll pop up and you'll have to do your pelvic floor exercises Um, none of it is intended as medical advice of course please seek out your own support you can find elaine on instagram she's at gusset underscore grippers and you can see her at the Edinburgh Fringe this summer. The show is Viva Your Vulva, The Whole Story. Tickets are available now. Next week, I'm taking you to a pessary fitting. Yep. In the meantime, get involved, tell me what you think and spread the word in any way you feel able. You can support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com forward slash jump, And you can find me on social at jump or online at whymumsdontjump.com. Hold up. 